Well, good morning. Good to see everyone here. And it's wonderful to meet uh, Hannah and Mark and Charlotte. Um, our mutual friends, uh, Philip and Catherine Van Steenberg, are a connection. So we were just joking with, uh, with Mark and Hannah that the uh, joke is that it's six degrees from Kevin Bacon. So in, in our world, it's six degrees from Philip and Catherine Van Steenberg. So Shannon and Ruth know Philip and Catherine, and so there you are. Uh, it's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, let's, let's pray before we hear the word read and preach. Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it is an encouragement to us to hear news of how the gospel is indeed the power for salvation to everyone who believes. And we thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing through Mark and Hannah and Channel and Ruth and the, the people there, the members of Covenant Hope Church. And we pray that you would continue, Lord God, to prosper their work as they seek to make disciples for the glory of God. And may we, Father, not only join in their work by prayer and support, but may we as, as well here at Maranatha, where you have placed us in our communities, in our places of work, in our schools, that we would be keen, Father, to heed the voice and prompting of your spirit as opportunity is open to us to share the gospel, uh, to uh, tell people about the, the marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the life-transforming power of your Holy Spirit and your great loving kindness extended to us as a, a loving Father. Lord God, we pray that as um, Pastor Eric and Sana are driving to Mississippi, give them uh, traveling mercies, protect them, uh, bless their time with family. We ask that you would uh, get them there safely and then bring them back to us safely as well. And we do so much appreciate the hard work that both uh, Pastor Eric and Sonna do uh, for us and for your glory. And Father, now we turn our attention to asking you to bless us through the preaching and the hearing of your word. We thank you for the grace that forgives, that restores, that renews, that refreshes. Grace, Lord God, which is undeserved but continues to flow into our lives because of your great work uh, and mercy. And so, Father, now we ask that you would bless uh, the preaching of your word, the hearing of it. We are your servants for Jesus' sake, and in his name we pray. Amen. We're finishing the letters of John. So this is a momentous and auspicious day uh, in uh, this series. So the, <clears throat> the beloved apostle writes... The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. 
talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received the good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. If your name appeared in the Bible, how would you like to be remembered? Just one time. Just one time your name appears in the Bible, how would you like to be remembered? Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than riches, and favor better than silver or gold. A good name is worth more than great wealth. A good reputation is better than silver or gold. In 3 John, we meet three men who have a good name and one who has a not-so-good name. The three men with a good name are, in fact, John, the author of the letter, Gaius, who is the recipient of the letter, Demetrius, who likely delivered the letter, and the fourth fellow, the fellow with the not-so-good name, is a man named Diotrephes, and we'll hear more about him later. For the moment, we're going to focus on John and Gaius and Demetrius. All three of these men have a good name. They have a good reputation for a very simple reason. They are following the trail that has been blazed by the Lord Jesus Christ. They are walking in truth. They are walking in the light. They not only say they love their brother, but they demonstrate their love for one another. They are guarding the gospel by sharing the gospel. They are proclaiming the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. They are indeed practicing what Jesus preaches, and because of that, because they are practicing what Jesus preaches, God is using them to bless the church, using them to bless others in Jesus' name. And that's really the, the approach we're going to take as we work through 3 John. The big idea for this, past, this uh, passage, this sermon, is that when you practice what Jesus preaches, God will use you to bless the church. We see this with Gaius. Gaius blessed the church by showing hospitality to visiting missionaries. John blessed the church by using his pastoral authority both to encourage and to correct. And Demetrius blessed the church through having a good reputation. So let's move quickly here and see Gaius blessing the church by showing hospitality to visiting missionaries. And so it was sort of providential that Mark and Hannah are here on a day when we study a scripture that deals with a brother in the church welcoming visiting missionaries. We know from the opening of 3 John that there is a strong bond of affection existing between the apostle and this man named Gaius. He writes in a very personal way, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. It's very likely then that the relationship between John and Gaius is one of uh, preacher and disciple, that John is likely responsible for Gaius coming to faith in Christ and having gotten to 
work with Gaius and disciple him, developed a strong bond of friendship. And their love for one another, John says, is in the truth. It's in the fact that they both share this passion to follow Christ and to make what he did known. And so his affection is rooted in their mutual love and devotion for Christ. And as we'll see in a moment, as an expression of that devotion to Christ, Gaius had opened his home to missionaries sent by John who were on a journey to bring the gospel to where the, the church that John is writing to is likely located in, in near the, the city of Ephesus, uh, there in what's now modern-day Turkey. And so he commends Gaius for walking in the truth, that his values, his ethics, his behavior are all guided, motivated, and driven by his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he commends Gaius for practicing what Jesus preaches. And he wants Gaius to know that God is using his actions to bless the church. Now, it's not, sure, it's not clear whether Gaius was the pastor of the church John wrote to, not clear if he was a deacon or um, a, a lay leader within the church, but he had some position of prominence, at least, in that he had earned his reputation as a faithful man, a generous man, a hospitable man. And that report, that news, reached John, and it brought him great joy. And he says that. It brings me no greater joy than to know that my children, those whom I have led to the Lord, are walking in the truth. And he says something in verse 2 that deserves to be mentioned, if, if not in depth, but certainly in passing, because it's not really the aim of the letter. When, when John writes uh, in verse 2, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes with your soul. That verse, uh, some of you may be aware, that verse has been twisted into teaching something that it doesn't say. Namely, that from that verse, we are to infer that God wants all of his followers to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous financially all the time. That his people are never to be poor, never to be sick, never to be doubt, never to be anxious about anything, but to always have the victory. But that is not what the verse means at all. In fact, the, that gospel that proclaims that kind of prosperity teaching is as false a gospel as the gospel that was being preached by John's opponents. You know, the ones that denied that Jesus was the Christ, the ones who denied that Jesus had come in the flesh, the ones who denied that Jesus was in fact the atoning sacrifice for sins. And so if John had wanted Gaius to live a life of financial prosperity and continued health, he would have given him further instructions in the letter as to how to do that. But he doesn't, because that's not the point of the letter. That's not the point of the prayer. It's a standard greeting of the day. And if anything, John wants Gaius to prosper and to do well and to be in good health so that God can continue to use Gaius to bless the church through how God blesses him. So that as God pours into Gaius' life, Gaius then sort of pours all of that out into service and ministry and love and hospitality and generosity to the brothers and sisters that he serves with and worships with, as well as others who may be traveling, preaching the gospel, he welcomes them into their home. And the reason why the, the focus of the letter is not on financial or health prosperity 
Gaius, the church that he attends, the church that John is writing to, is in serious trouble. They have just experienced a, a, a mass departure of people, men and women, who have been deceived into believing a false gospel. They have gone out. We saw that in 1 John. And now they're coming back and they're trying to convert the rest of the congregation into following this false gospel. And so when John hears news that Gaius has welcomed missionaries into his home, missionaries who are preaching the, the truth about who Jesus is, it, it brings him exceedingly great joy. Hence the, the tone, the exuberant tone there in verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Hence then the reason for John's prayer in verse 2 that God would continue to bless Gaius, that he might then be and continue to be a blessing to others. His hospitality, Gaius' hospitality, is just a natural outcome, the natural overflow of his devotion to Christ. And it's because of this initial hospitality that, that John encourages Gaius to continue, and he commends Gaius to the church. And he also because knowing of Gaius' generosity and hospitality, he also tells him that these missionaries that you've entertained, he says, I want you to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. That's code. The translation is, load their backpacks with food and line their pockets with money. Because they are doing gospel work. And they are not expecting or looking to be supported by non-Christians uh, non or Gentiles, which is really another way of saying people who don't believe in Jesus at this point. But he's telling guys, I want you to, sh to show them support. Don't just welcome them into your home, but now send them laden with food and laden with money for the journey. It's a very simple principle here that Christians should help other Christians who are doing the work of God. We don't expect our missionaries, when we send them out, to gain support from the people that they are sharing the gospel with. They should receive report from, from people in the church that has sent them out, or from a network of, of churches that are interested in seeing the gospel go forth into the world so that lives can be changed with the power of the gospel. Missionaries uh, do not work for profit. They don't work for fame. They don't even work for patriotism. They, they work for the same reason that all Christians work for the gospel, and that's for the glory of God. Missionaries serve at the pleasure of God for the glory of God. I think all Christians do that. But in a missionary's case, they, they leave home, they leave family, they leave church, they leave country, they leave a community to be part of another community or to create another community grounded in the gospel. And they do that for one simple reason, for the sake of the name. It's for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by supporting them, we enter into their work. We encourage them in their work. We endorse their work. We encourage their faith. We forge a bond uh, with them, by entering into a partnership with them. Jill and I have been privileged to have friends uh, from seminary who have served in Latin America and Mexico, who have served in Costa Rica, who serve in Colombia, uh, who have served uh, in, on missions boards responsible for seeing the church develop in third world countries. And, 
And to be able to support them is a privilege that we count very dear, and our friendship with them is only strengthened because of that. And I'm sure Pastor John can attest to the same thing in the relation with uh, Shannon and Ruth and with uh, Mark and Hannah. And we as a church, we begin to get that bond. So it's always good to see the, the people that we support in the flesh so that we can express to them physically uh, in their presence that we love them and, uh, and care for them and care for the work that they do. And that's what Gaius did. He welcomed them into their home. They, you know, traveling in the first century was not an easy thing. It was a dangerous enterprise. And there were lots of shady places and shady, um, if you will, innkeepers who would sort of you know, dock you and rob you and thieve you. And Gaius is doing these missionaries a tremendous grace by welcoming them into his home. And so missionaries who go out, they, they need our hospitality. They need our financial support, and I would say that from what John tells Gaius here, they deserve it for the work that they do because they do it for the sake of the name. And as I said, we've welcomed, John has pointed out, Pastor John has, we've welcomed several missionary families into our church over the past several weeks, starting with Dan and Anna Estradi and Shannon and Ruth and now Mark and Hannah. We support the Mathesons, the Dixons over in Scotland. Uh, Rachel uh, Wessel in uh, Mexico and Damian Thomas in Jamaica. And God has blessed us as a church to be able to bless others through supporting the, the work of these missionaries. And so it's, it's really an answer to a command, if you will, to send the people that we support on their journey in a manner worthy of God. It's a blessing to them and it's a way of worshiping and acknowledging the grace of God, that we are able to do that because someone had to share the gospel with us. So whether we stay or whether we go, the thing is that we are glorifying God through how we serve him, where we serve him, as opportunity provides for us to serve him. And so Gaius did that. He practiced what Jesus preached. He walked in truth. He loved the brothers, he guarded the gospel, and God used him to bless the church. And then you come to the, the apostle John himself, who blessed the church by using his pastoral authority to both to encourage and to correct. I can, I can speak, and I, I'm sure Pastor John and Pastor Justin and Pastor Eric and Pastor Paul, others who have served as elders, can attest to the fact that when you have people like Gaius in your church, that's, it, it makes ministry a wonderful thing. And it, 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 it's just wonderful to be surrounded and to be able to pour into people like that because they pour into you as well. And in most cases, people who are like Gaius, they don't, they don't want attention drawn to their acts of kindness. They tend to be rather humble about that. They want to shy away from the limelight. They'd rather be anonymous in what they do because it's not for the glory, not for the fame that they do it. It's an act of worship that prompts them to do what they do. And because of this, their, their kindness can often go unnoticed, but it must never be taken for granted. And so at the risk of embarrassing his dear friend, John mentions Gaius by name to the congregation. And then we could do that here, but it's, it's not something that you know, we want to do in terms of maybe purposely embarrassing someone. But John takes that risk because he wants the congregation that Gaius is part of to know what he has done, not 
to elevate Gaius, but, in, but also, I think, more directly to motivate the rest of the members to follow Gaius' example. It says, if you want to know what it looks like to walk in the light, you want to know what it looks like to walk in the truth, this is what it looks like. It looks like Gaius welcoming strangers, total strangers, into his home who are doing the work of the gospel for the sake of the name. And so he praises Gaius for his generosity because he knows that the hearts of the missionaries have been refreshed by what Gaius did. And he praises Gaius for his generosity so that he will encourage the members of the congregation there to do the same. Not just for visitors, but for one another. To care for one another in demonstrable, physical, tangible ways. So it's not just with words, but with deeds. And I think, and, and just in the short time that Jill and I have been here, I hear amazing stories of, of just generosity and hospitality among the folks here at Maranatha. And it's, I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Because that's, that's how you are salt, that's how we are light to those that look at that and say, how, what's the motivation, what are you doing, what, like, what's your angle? Like, we, we live in the New York City area, right? So you don't do anything, not, there's always a string attached, right? You don't do nothing for free. There's always something attached to it. It's like, no, we're doing it because of the love of God poured into our hearts that we want to share it. So people like Gaius um, are special uh, to a church. Having said that, words, words are powerful things. And uh, pastors, John being a pastor, pastors know they have to be careful with the words that they use and the words that they choose, especially when it comes to using one's authority as an elder or a pastor. And John, John chose words that he knew would both encourage Gaius and challenge uh, the congregation there. He wanted Gaius to continue to do what Jesus said we should do, walk in truth, love one another, guard the gospel. He wants the congregation to do the same. He wants Gaius to continue to be a faithful brother and to prosper in that reputation, that good reputation he has earned. And it's important uh, for us as pastors. So from time to time, we may embarrass several of you by name in order to sort of commend you to God and then commend you to the congregation because people like Gaius are a blessing to the church. And then there are people like Diotrephes. What do you do with a guy like Diotrephes? Whose name, by the way, if, he, if that name is known, uh, it doesn't sound pretentious enough. The fact that it means nurtured by Zeus <laughs> is like this guy already has high ideas about himself. He's nurtured by Zeus, the chief of the gods. Gaius is an example of someone who's walking in the light. Diotrephes is the example of someone who's walking in the darkness while claiming to walk in the light. Remember, go back to what John said in his first letter, 1 John 2, 9 and 11. John points out the danger of men like Diotrephes to a church, that whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, 
and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So guys like Diotrephes, they don't, they don't know that they've gone off the trail because they can't see the trail and they can't find their way back to the trail. We're going to see in a, in a moment that what John is aiming to do here is not so much punish Diotrephes, even though Diotrephes is causing trouble, but he wants to steer Diotrephes back into the light, get him back on the path. Everything we know about this man, we know from verses 9 and 10. And it's not a very flattering picture of this fellow. We're told that he likes to put himself first. So we're to infer from that that he's arrogant, he's prideful, he's ambitious. We know that he does not acknowledge John's authority, so he is disrespectful and he is insubordinate. We know that he is talking wicked nonsense about John and his followers. So he engages freely in slander and gossip. We also know that he refuses to welcome the brothers, the very same brothers, let's say, that Gaius welcomed. And he stops those who do. And then he puts them out of the church. So he's a rude, power-hungry bully who intimidates people. And it doesn't appear that Diotrephes had any kind of formal leadership position in the church. Not clear that he was an elder or a deacon or even a lay leader, but somehow he became a self-appointed gatekeeper in that congregation and he put himself in charge and he wielded great influence uh, in that congregation. Uh, and for reasons unknown, he chose to defy John's apostolic authority. And he mentions, uh, an illustration of this is John mentions, I wrote something to the church, but you never received it because apparently Diotrephes destroyed that letter. So we don't know. It wasn't 1 John, it wasn't 2 John, some other letter that he sent that Diotrephes destroyed. And if that act of insubordination wasn't enough, Diotrephes then went up a level by talking wicked nonsense about John and his followers. And then he further disrespected John's authority by refusing to welcome the brothers sent by John. It gets worse, right? He stopped anyone from doing the same but his crude conduct didn't stop there. If anyone challenged him, <laughs> he threw him out of the church. Now, we don't know why Diotrephes did this. Whatever provoked him to act like a power-hungry bully is unknown to us. What we do know is this, that John, John intends to confront Diotrephes about his behavior. The, the if there in verse 10 is better translated when. So when I come, I will bring up what he is doing. And notice what, what John is, is saying here. It's his conduct I'm concerned about. I don't know anything about Diotrephes' character, but if his conduct is any indication of his character, I need to address the conduct first, and then we'll get to the character. The thing that John is always concerned about in his letters is right belief leading to right behavior. So there must be something about what Diotrephes believes that is influencing how he's behaving. And so John is going to address that, and by addressing his behavior, correct what he believes. And it's interesting, too, that John does not give that responsibility to Gaius. He doesn't delegate Gaius to do this. He doesn't say, Gaius, I want you to go like, you know, like, some, <laughs> like, like some godfather from a distance. I want you to talk to him, you know. Make him an offer he can't refuse. Doesn't do that. 
Because it's his responsibility as the pastor of that church to correct the sinning brother. Because that's going to set an example for the rest of the congregation as to how you deal with a sinning brother. And so in the same way that John blesses Gaius by commending him and encouraging him, John is seeking to bless Diotrephes by correcting him. It's an act of love that John is engaging here. That he's seeking to correct, not punish. He's seeking to instruct, not to destroy. He wants diatrophies to continue to be part of that community, but his behavior has to change. And so he takes this tack. I will talk to him. We don't know how he will do that, but if John is going to, if he's listening to Jesus at all, we know he's going to follow what Jesus says in Matthew 18. And he's likely going to pull diatrophies aside in private and have a conversation with him. And he's going to carefully and maybe gently, maybe forcefully show him where he's gone off the trail and how he can get back on the trail by acknowledging that he has sinned, confessing it, where he has sinned against Christ, where he has sinned against John, where he has sinned against the church, and then what he can do to make that right. Because the purpose here, the reason why John wants to talk to Diotrephes is not to put him out of the church, but to bring him back. Not to have him stay out there in the darkness, but to bring him back into the light so that he can have fellowship with Gaius and that Gaius can have fellowship with Diotrephes and so that the two men can come to the Lord's table together as those who are forgiven, restored by the same Savior, the same grace, filled with the same Spirit, submitted to the same Word. So when we think about an exercise of church discipline, when we think about wanting to correct an erring or a sinning brother or sister, that's the aim. That's the goal. Datrophes has done some pretty bad things. And John, to his credit, stays away from the, the personal or the ad hominem attack. He simply says, I will talk to him. I will bring up what he is doing in order to correct it, that he may stop. What we don't know is how that conversation went. What we do know is that John understands how the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, can melt a man's heart, a stony heart, with a grace-powered word of gospel correction. Remember, John was there on the shore of the lake when Jesus restored Peter. He heard three times, do you love me? And he saw Jesus, those words, that simple question, melt Peter's heart and change him. And perhaps John is thinking, when I see diatrophies, I'm going to ask him the same thing. Do you love Jesus more than your power? Do you love Jesus more than your reputation? Do you love Jesus more than your influence? Do you love Jesus more than anything? That's, that's a powerful question for a husband to answer when he's angry with his wife or a wife to answer when she's had it up to here with him or a parent with a child that just won't get it right. 
We trust in the power of the word of God used under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God to bring about the change that only God can bring about. So John is not relying simply or solely on his authority as an apostle, which he could, but it's on the power of the word to transform. Because you don't browbeat anyone into change. You don't shame anyone into change. You don't guilt anyone into change. (laughs) Believe me, as a parent, I know. (laughs) It doesn't work. But a loving confrontation does. In the power of the gospel. And so John seeks to bless diatrophies. And he seeks to bless the church by using his pastoral authority to encourage and to correct. And then lastly, here is Demetrius, good old Demetrius, who blesses the church through having a good reputation. As a, as a kid growing up, there was an expression uh, thrown around our household and, and the friends, the circle of friends that I knew. Uh, and have you ever heard the expression, so-and-so is good people? Right, someone who's good people, you know what that means. Right, they have a good reputation. Yeah, they're honest. They're dependable. Uh, someone who's good people is a, is a friend who stays closer than a brother, to paraphrase the proverb. They are there when you need them, anytime, anywhere. Demetrius is good people. We know this from verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. John even adds his own testimony to Demetrius, who is likely carrying the letter. And so in contrast to Diotrephes, who places a high priority on being first, Demetrius would place a priority on being last. He is walking in the truth. He is loving others. He is guarding the gospel. Where Diotrephes is arrogant, Demetrius is humble. Where Diotrephes earned his bad reputation by doing bad things, Demetrius earned his good name by doing good things. Walking in the light, loving people, guarding the gospel. And and John encourages Gaius to do that. That's why he says, don't imitate what's bad, imitate what's good. It's a... I mean, if, if you pay attention to anything in the blogosphere or in the internet, or you know that the church has been damaged severely by pastors who have abused their authority, who have bullied their members, who have earned a bad reputation, not only for themselves, but then for the church as well. And, and John says, Gaius, don't do that. I'll deal with diatrophies, but you don't retaliate. You stay true to the trail, you stay true to Christ. Demetrius is your example. You want to know what that looks like? Pay attention to Demetrius. And and you know in your life, in your circle of friends, who the Demetriuses are. That faithful brother or sister that you lean on, that you look up to, that you ask, that you know at any hour of the day or night, you can text or, or, or phone and say, I need help, would you pray for me? Can I come over? Would you come over here? That's the kind of faithfulness, the kind of goodness and reputation that Demetrius has. And all throughout uh, our study of John's letters, he has emphasized this this idea of behavior that is um, influenced by what we believe. Right? Right belief leading to right behavior. And I've used the expression leading to practicing what Jesus preaches because when we do that, God will use us to bless the church. Um, So I ask again, 
If your name appeared just one time in the Bible, how would you like to be remembered? Good name is to be chosen uh, rather than great riches. In um, favor, a, a good reputation better than silver or gold. A good name is a good thing. And people with a good name are a blessing to the church. And by God's grace, if we have confessed, those of us who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ, we have received a good name. Let us strive to live up to that name. Let us strive to be what Christ has made us by that name. A people who bear a name and who carry it with us wherever we go. It's his name. And it's for his glory we live. And it's for his glory that we encourage one another. And it's for his glory that we make disciples who will increase his kingdom and increase his fame. You think about that. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we acknowledge we are not worthy to bear that name. It is only by grace that you make us worthy to bear the name of Christ and to call ourselves by that same grace a Christian, a follower of Christ, one whose heart and mind and very life has been transformed by the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be worthy of that name as you have made us worthy by your sacrifice for our salvation. And so let us, Lord God, seek to practice what you preach that we might bless your church and bless others in the name of Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.